Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, June 6th. We're here live. It's a free-for-all, and we're just waiting for your phone calls, so line them up. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, we can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, politics, inflation, fuel prices, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get through. I'll get to the calls here in a little bit. I have a, uh, I have a bunch of odds and ends. I just have all these weird notes I've been collecting and reading the news this morning, nothing major going on. Well, at least nothing different. Uh, inflation, fuel prices, all the usual stuff, shortages, uh, all the same stuff. There's a lot going on actually, but nothing we haven't really talked about already. So I've been kind of collecting all these scraps of ideas. I was planning on doing a recorded show at these, but I think I'll uh, cover a couple of these while we're waiting for some calls to come in. So line them up, 855-950-3835. Also, I will answer questions from the websites. Sometimes I have a hard time going back and forth and I forget some of those, but uh, I put posts up on both sites, healthytribe.com and truckingtribe.com. I have some questions coming in over there already. I'll try to get to those as well. All right. So one thing, this is uh, doesn't really have much to do with anything. It's just something I've noticed. Uh, somebody reached out to me, a company that makes infrared saunas, and um, they've listened to the show for years, it sounds like, and they had an idea they wanted to get together and talk about something. And I'm certainly interested. You know, we use the infrared sauna blanket. Um, we're still learning a lot about the benefits of infrared sauna. So I'd love to have a good contact like this. So I'm going to reach back out to them. What I realized was how business has changed since I've been in it. And it seems almost a little backwards. So when I f very first started in business, we didn't have cell phones, although I was one of the really, really early adopters of cell phones. So I bought my first truck in 1986, and I bought my first cell phone in 1987. Paid a fortune for the thing, like 1800 bucks. My bill every month was like 600 a month, and the thing was the size of an army field radio, but... I was doing local work at the time, and having that phone was a game changer for me. Changed everything. It was pretty incredible. But for the most part, the first decade that I was in business, most people did not have cell phones, and they weren't using them for business. We had, you know, office phones, regular phones. Truck drivers had pagers, if anything. And yet it seems to me like it was actually easier to get a hold of people then. We, now we have 52 ways that you can message somebody. It's one of the frustrating things I have to deal with every day. 
Uh, and some of it we created. We have multiple websites, so people send me messages on all of our sites. We have social media sites. People send me messages there. I get emails, and you know, I have multiple email accounts, and it, it's just there. It's everywhere. You know, people can leave me voicemails in different places and messages. And now it's hard to keep up with all the different ways we can communicate. And yet, with all these ways of communicating and a phone in our pocket all day long, I realized we spend more time now trying to get a hold of people than we used to back then. Here's the way business used to work. When you wanted to talk to somebody, you called them. You just picked up the phone and you called them. They either answered and you talked to them or they didn't answer and maybe you got voicemail. Voicemail's been around a long time or you left a message with the receptionist and they called you back and you talked. Maybe once in a while you might play a little bit of phone tag. You'd call them, leave a message. They'd call you, leave a message. But it wasn't that big of a deal. Usually you called somebody and you talked and that was the end of it. I just realized today, we almost never do that anymore. And I'm, I think I'm going to get back into the habit of doing it. In fact, on this particular case, I, I'm just going to, they gave me a phone, an email and a phone number. Now, typically, here's how business works today. And it's gotten much more so like this over the last couple of years because of all the lockdowns and people working from home. Typically now, Here's what I, I almost did this because this is what we do now in business. I got this message on Facebook. Like I said, I can get messages all over the place. I could have easily missed this one, but I got this on Facebook. There's an email and a phone number. Now, the habit we've gotten into in business, and I'm guilty of it too, is we would email this person now. And what we would say is, I got your message. I do want to talk to you about this. Here's what my schedule looks like for the week. When do you want to schedule a call? Then he would send an email back and say, well, my schedule looks like this. What about Thursday at two? And then I'll say either yes or no, that doesn't work for me. And then we schedule like a Zoom call or, or just a regular phone call, but it's scheduled. Oh, how horribly inefficient. We have all this technology that makes communicating so much easier, and today communicating seems more difficult than anything. We text, we email, we send instant messages on all these different sites, but then it seems like anytime you want to talk to somebody on the phone anymore in business, everything has to be scheduled. That's, I, I just never used to operate that. So this time I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to, I got a phone number. I'm just going to pick up the phone after the show today and call. And I think I'm just going to get back into that habit. If I have somebody's phone number, I'm just going to call them. All this scheduling and texting and Zoom calls and back and forth, what a waste of time. We just used to call people and they either picked up the phone or they didn't and you left a message and they'd call you back. All this scheduling just makes me a little crazy, so I'm not going to do it. Not that that was any big deal, but it was on my notes, so... Um, now I can scratch it off. <sighs> Comment on fuel surcharge and social media. So I saw a post and it, it you know what? I should probably go back and just read that because I want to get it. Um, 
verbatim if I can find it. I may have lost it. Nope, here it is. Okay, here's quote, and this is from a freight brokers network group. Quote, what I'm not understanding is how you call these brokers and broker agents. They offer you a bad rate, but when you ask them what's the fuel surcharge for the load, they get confused. Like, I don't know what you're asking. I've never heard of that. They're literally hiring these people off the streets. There were a whole bunch of typos in there, but we'll skip over that. Um, And some real grammar issues. We'll just skip over that. Here's the problem I have with this. This is somebody criticizing somebody for not understanding a part of their job that they should understand. I completely agree with them in, in the first part of their their sentence here. If the person works as a broker or a broker's agent, they probably should understand what fuel surcharge is and how it works. Many don't. I get that. But the person criticizing them for not understanding fuel surcharge doesn't understand fuel surcharge himself. And it's obvious from the post. I wonder if anybody understands, completely obvious from this post, this person criticizing somebody for not understanding fuel surcharge doesn't understand fuel surcharge because fuel surcharge is not necessary and doesn't really exist in the spot market. Now he's telling me in the post, I'm calling a broker or a broker's agent. That means you're on the spot market. This isn't contracted freight. You're calling about a load from the load board. There is no fuel surcharge because there's no need for one. We know the rate today and we're booking the load today. There's no fuel surcharge. Just give them a damn rate. If you don't like their rate and they won't accept your rate, the fuel surcharge is not the issue. Just move on. Don't pull the freight then. But to criticize somebody for not understanding a concept that you clearly don't understand yourself. So I, I don't respond very often on Facebook, but I did this time. I jumped in and said, well, of course they don't know what the fuel surcharge is. Brokers work in the spot market. And there is no fuel surcharge in the spot market. It's not necessary. There's two times when a fuel surcharge is necessary. And one of them is more important owner operators than the other. If you are leased to a carrier on a mileage contract, you should also have a fuel surcharge on on virtually every load. If you're leased to a carrier and you're on a mileage contract, you have a fuel surcharge or you should. It absolutely exists then. And here's why the rate doesn't change. When you sign the contract and you're signing for a buck 40 a mile or whatever your number is, well, you're signing it today and the fuel price, you know, let's say you signed it two years ago and the fuel price was two something. Well, you couldn't afford to run for a dollar 40 a mile today, but we don't change the rate on a contract. We use a fuel surcharge instead and it adjusts every week. So that's the one time that owner-operators should understand how a fuel surcharge works. Now, if you're leased to a carrier and they're doing percentage freight, 
then you don't need to understand fuel surcharge every day, every load. You just accept that rate or you don't. The other time it's used that an owner operator might need to understand it, but it's pretty rare is if you are booking contracted freight. Most owner operators aren't going to do that. It happens occasionally. And this is probably why most owner operators don't understand fuel surcharge, which I get. If it's not important to you in your business, there's no need to understand it. But don't criticize other people for not understanding it when you clearly don't. Then his response was, he went back through all of my material and found something I posted back in 2017 explaining fuel surcharge. I even put in charts and examples, and he posted that. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, well, thank you for proving my point. I explained fuel surcharge very clearly, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with the spot market. All right, one other, uh, one other thing. I have a ton more on here, but I think I'm going to leave them. Calls are starting to come in. So if you want to jump in and join us, line them up. Today is a free-for-all. Uh, it'll either be an hour or as long as you have calls and questions. And I'll also try to get to those um, questions on the website. I actually think I'm going to do that first. I do have one more topic I want to talk about. won't take long. AB5, California AB5. Um, we talked about this a lot a couple of years ago. It's been pretty quiet. Here's a quick rundown. The law in California that passed, AB5 passed in California, it is the law. And the law says that it, you can't use independent contractors to do what your company does as its main function. So, and this this covers all independent contractors in all industries. That's the law in California. But I'm going to talk about just trucking. In trucking, what that means is a trucking company, its business model is to move freight. That's what trucking companies do. They move freight for other companies. So what this law means in California is if you are a trucking company and you move freight, you are not allowed to contract with independent contractors to move that freight. That means in California, you cannot lease your truck to a carrier. And somebody listening right now, a whole bunch of people are saying, well, that's not true. I'm in California and I'm leased to a carrier. Correct. Only because... After AB5 passed, it is the law, the California Trucking Association and a couple other groups started lawsuits and they started pushing it through the courts and they got it to the Ninth Circuit and it's been turned down. So now the Supreme Court is deciding whether or not they will hear this case. If the Supreme Court hears the case and rules that it is a, a legitimate law, then there would be no leasing to carriers in California. And we have another problem. The law is not clear. California is saying, we don't care what state you or your country company are from. You can't come into California if your truck is leased to a carrier. So this is a big deal. 
there is a law like this at the federal level that could be voted on at some point. I can't even imagine what that would do to our country and our economy. But right now, we're just dealing with California and the Supreme Court. Here's where we are. The Supreme Court has to decide whether they will hear this case or not. They could refuse to hear it or rule on it. If they do that, the ruling from the Ninth Circuit stands, and this becomes law in California. They could also decide to just do nothing right now. I think the Supreme Court session is up this month or next month. I can't always keep straight the Supreme Court schedule, but I think it's their session is up here soon. And if they don't hear it or they don't rule on it one way or another, then it just sits out there till next session and we won't know what's happening. So it's still possible that nothing changes and it's just, it's a law, but it's on hold until the Supreme Court does something. If the Supreme Court says we're not going to hear it, then it just becomes law in California. If they decide to rule on it this time, then we'll get a ruling or they could just pass on it and let it ride till next session and we'll know nothing. Thought I'd give you an update on that. All right, now let's... um, Let's go answer some questions from the website, and then I'll get to uh, your calls as well. They're starting to come in, so line them up, 855-950-3835. First question from John. I've got myself into a situation where one of my steers is almost done, and the other is 60 to 70% tread left. Is there any issue with running steer tires of the same brand, but with different tread depth? Nothing major. You may get some weird little anomalies, but um, you can do this. You could run fairly significant tread depths um, on your two steer tires without any major issues. Having said all that, I hate doing this. I don't do this. I won't do this. It might just be because I'm a little OCD about tires. But for me, I would just sell that tire with 70% tread to somebody who needs it. I'd go buy two new steer tires. Uh, Like I say, you can do it. Not going to cause any big issues. It just makes me a little crazy. Uh, From Ken. uh, Morning, Kevin. Received my latest vitamin D and CRP. Um results from Everly Well. Uh, CRP came in at 0.5. Excellent, by the way. Very, very low inflammation. That's good. Uh, My vitamin D came in at 156. That's high, up from 119. When I got the 119, I cut back the DK drops from eight to six, but I'm also now well into my second 90-day cardio miracle since the 119 result. I've cut back to three drops of DK in my coffee. Does that sound sufficient or should I cut back more? Uh, At 156, I would cut back more. Eight drops was way too many. When you were taking eight, I I have a hard time of absorbing vitamin D. Um, And I think I may be doing some real updates on vitamin D. There's a lot of new information about vitamin D 
and supplementing and reading. Um, I'm not quite done with all my research, but I may be making some new recommendations around vitamin D. But my recommendation right now would be cut back. I might even drop the DK drops uh, completely for a little while and then test again. Summer's coming up. You're already very elevated. I would just drop the drop the drops. Drop the drops completely for now. And then I would test again and say um, 60 to 90 days. And then we'll have a pretty good idea of you know, where your level is. And we'll know that eight was way too many. Maybe zero wasn't quite enough, or maybe it is. We don't know, especially with the cardio miracle in there. Um, so that's what I would do. Stop the drops, drop the drops, wait two to three months, retest, call me back. We'll figure out what you need. Right now, you're, you're fine. Uh, from David, what was the recipe with chicken and pork skins? Okay, the recipe I talked about with chicken and pork skins, drop dead simple, by the way. Uh, it actually makes basically a pizza crust, but it's weird to think that we can make a pizza crust out of nothing but animal products. And it actually comes out pretty darn good. Now, the one thing I will tell you is you'll never get it crispy. So if you like crispy pizza crust, that's not going to happen. Um, it's hard to do that even with the alternative flours. But if you're just looking for a very, very low-carb kind of flatbread pizza crust, this stuff's pretty incredible. I actually just like it. After I, I'll make the crust, I won't put anything on it. I'll just pre-bake it, and then I'll slice it up, and I'll put it in a bag, throw it in the refrigerator. I'll just walk by and grab a piece and eat it cold. And it's, it's kind of weird, but I actually like it. I really haven't made a whole pizza on it yet. I've made probably five or six of these things already. And I just usually even, you know, if I want something like pizza, I always just cut mine and throw it in the refrigerator. So I can make just a couple pieces at a time if I want it. Um, pretty interesting stuff. It's really simple too. It's chicken, just cooked chicken. One of the easy ways to do this is you could just buy a rotisserie chicken I like a blend of both dark and light meat, but if you want, you can just cook some chicken. You don't have to cook it any way special. One of the easiest ways is to poach it in water if you want. Poach it in bone broth, even better. Um, so you take chicken, roughly six ounces of chicken, three ounces of pork rinds, chicharrones or pork rinds, some Parmesan cheese, I think that may be it. And then I think one recipe I saw used some Italian seasoning. You can season it however you want. I've done it with turkey. Um, the canned turkey that I make is perfect. Turkey's already cooked. You open it up, you throw all this stuff in the blender. Comes out kind of like a dough. You roll it out to about a quarter inch, throw it in the oven and bake it. Yeah, and you have a totally carnivore pizza crust flatbread. So pretty cool stuff. Fairly easy too. And I... You know, I don't even look back. I got the recipe out of the Carnivore Code cookbook. Uh, I've played around with some alterations and variations, but I don't even really look at the recipe anymore. I, like I say, it's about six ounces of chicken, three to four ounces of pork rinds, two ounces of Parmesan cheese, a little bit of whatever seasoning you like in there. 
oh, eggs. There's also eggs in there, I forgot. Um, two whole eggs, one egg yolk. That's the whole recipe. Very carnivore, very nutritious, pretty darn easy to make. You just throw, I mean, you throw all the ingredients into a food processor, you hit the button, turns it into a dough, you roll it out and you bake it. It's that easy. Hardest part is learning how to roll it out and, you know, learning how to deal with it. It's not that big of a deal. And uh, great to have around. I even, um, it, it's not really savory or sweet. I guess it's savory, but I put nut butter on it one, one night just for something different. I pulled a cold piece out of the refrigerator, put nut butter on it. it. One of our new walnut butters from the store, which is awesome. And it was good like that. It was really good. I know it sounds weird, but it was good. All right, let me uh, let me see if we have any other questions from the website, and if not, I will get to the phones. Uh, oh, this is a guy. Just got a message from Sarah. Uh, the pumpkin seed crust from Savor Savor Tooth cooks crispy even with an inch of beef and cheese on top. Sarah, you are absolutely correct. I haven't had that one in a long time. Uh, there's a company called Savor Tooth, and they make a bunch of um, pumpkin seed flowers and products. And theirs does get really crispy. So if you're looking for a crispy pizza crust, that's one of your best options. If you're looking just true carnivore, very, very low carb, almost no carb, um, this carnivore code pizza crust is pretty interesting. I, I also talked about they had an interesting waffle in there that was pure animal products, a waffle. And you could either make it sweet or savory. It was pork rinds and eggs, basically. So pretty interesting stuff. All right. Uh, let's see. Any other questions? Uh, okay, from Rick. Hi, Kevin. Dr. Daniel Amen just released a book titled You Happier. I listened to a podcast interview by this doctor. He wants us to think in terms of brain health versus mental health. Thought you'd be interested in the topic and perhaps discuss more after listening to the book, which is available on Audible. Have a great day. Uh, you Happier. I need to make a note. I am going to get that. You happier book. All right. I got a note. I'll get it on my Kindle before the show's over. I was looking for something new to read. That one actually does sound interesting. The difference or to think in terms of brain health versus mental health. That's interesting. Um, so I, I do want to read that book. Brain health being we would look at the brain the way we look at our physical body. You know, when we look at our heart, right? What is your heart rate? What's your heart rate variability? You know, there's lots of ways we look at our physical body, but we kind of treat our brain like, oh yeah, we don't know what's going on there. But there's a difference between our brain and our thoughts. And I think that's what this is talking about. Mental health, we tend to think of our thoughts. What's going on in our brain? What are you thinking about? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel depressed? Are you bipolar? But brain health, 
we would look at the physical characteristics of the brain and the nutrition in the brain. That, that's really an interesting topic. So, Rick, thank you for that. Uh, from Mark. Hi, Kevin. Will there be an instructional video on making the probiotic yogurt? Um, no instructional video. There is a tutorial already on healthytribe.com. I'm reading these questions off of Trucking Tribe right now. Um, so, Mark, if you go to healthytribe.com, there is a tutorial. I chose not to do a video because there's a lot of measurements. And you don't really need to see me doing this stuff. It's really simple. So we did pictures. Like I took a picture. Here are the ingredients. Here are the jars. Here's the sous vide. But then it's just a step-by-step tutorial instead of a video where, you know, with a video, if I give you a, a measurement, you've got to stop and write it down or... So we just did this as a, a picture step-by-step tutorial, but it tells you everything you need to know how to make all the different strains of yogurt. It's on healthytribe.com. All right, speaking of Healthy Tribe, let me see if we have any questions over there, and then I'll get to the phones. Healthy Tribe was uh, kind of quiet this morning. Um, Nope, no questions on Healthy Tribe. I will continue to monitor these for the rest of the show. So if you, uh, if you can't get through for some reason or you want to just ask your question on the website, you can do that. Either one, healthytribe.com and truckingtribe.com. Let's go to the phones. Let's get started today in Missouri. Robert, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. Even better now that I can hear your voice. I was a little worried. I was still fighting with the problem from Friday. And the problem only deals with the caller. So I was uh, I thought I had it fixed over the weekend. And then I got in here this morning and I had another issue again. My phone updated again. But I think I've got it working and I can hear you. So that's a really good sign. What can I help you with today? That's surprising because I got one of the cheapest headsets you can get. Um, main reason I'm calling on the oil sample I sent to you. Um, I wanted to wait till I had a pretty good history on this truck. What I'm mainly concerned is my fuel dilution on this last sample. I uh, took some time off. I didn't get to call you Friday. I got busy digging a ditch and forgot all about the show. Uh, All right, let me see. I think I have your oil sample here. Under Robert. Yep. Series 60. Yep. Okay. Oh, boy. 92 Series 60, 2,253,000 on the engine with 253-something out of frame. Got it. Perfect. Okay. So let's go back over because there's some history here I want to go back to. If we go back to 2020, you add fuel dilution at 2.9 and then 3.4. But by 2021, it had dropped down to 1.1 and then 0.9. Did you do anything? Did you change injectors? Oh, really? (laughs) No. No, I got the truck back in uh, 2020. Um, had an oil sample done on it before I even went and looked at it. Then went and bought the truck. That's my first September. We've been in first oil change at twenty five thousand or twenty six thousand. 
And other than, you know, just changing the filters and stuff, I really didn't do anything. Haven't done much to the truck at all. Okay. Um, Okay. So why now did your operation change anywhere during that time? Not really. So idling didn't change? I was probably idling a little more then when I first got it. Um, in fact, I know I was because I had a starter go out and I had to idle it all the way from Utah to Florida. Okay. All right. So idling can account for it. Then your idling went down and your fuel dilution went down. Now it's kind of come back with a vengeance. The four is where I say yeah. we really start have to pay attention. You're at 4.3. Um, what's confusing me though did you put in any kind of an additive like uh, Lucas stabilizer? Um, the diesel spec uh, significant, significant uh, resistance stuff help it lubricate better. I'm trying to get my base up. You'll notice back uh, about the third sample it jumps up my boron and my titanium jumped up. Right. And that's right after I put that in, and I yeah. have to look at the truck. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that that whatever this product is, and I'm not familiar with it. Um, now you say you wanted to you wanted to help your base. I have a feeling this product has no base in it. The diesel spec, uh, or not diesel spec? Um, that thing. It's the one that you that makes the base additive. Oh, hot shot secret. Hot shot, hot shot, uh, but I couldn't find the secret, hot shot secret, um, and it was in the green bottles. It wasn't just the base additive. It was, uh, oh, well, yeah, hot shot secret, like a lot of companies, makes all kinds of different additives, but we have to be very specific yep. when we want the base. We have to add the base. You added a product that doesn't have any base in it. Because your base went way down. I mean, last your last now base was, was almost ten. That was back, and that was back before November. Okay. And that's why I, I, I've seen it shoot up when I put that in, and it going down so much is what's really got me. It's like, why in the world is my base so far down, but my viscosity getting higher? And the viscosity, I'm sure that's I put a got on the Lucas in it. Yeah, I I have kind to. Of a mix of with, oils too. Y- with fuel dilution, our, our viscosity should go down. Your viscosity went up. That's why I was asking about an additive. I have to believe that this exactly. additive is causing the thickness because nothing else makes any sense. Here's, here's okay. what I think we're really seeing here. Um, I think we're seeing, oh, now you said you're at 250 something after an in-frame, right? Out of frame. Out of, oh, an out of frame. Okay. Um, I did a complete out of frame just after two million. You consuming any oil now? I am about every six thousand. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> six to ten. If I first I, change it, it's about ten. And as I, the oil gets older, it seems like I'm using more. Okay. So this isn't. I don't want you to worry too much about what I'm going to say. I don't think it's a bad case of this. But I think what happened here, I think somebody rebuilt a block they probably shouldn't have rebuilt. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I, I, we have 
fairly high wear metals for right now. Nothing horrible. Again, I don't want to scare you with this because it's kind of a borderline case, not really bad, but it's not really good either. We have higher wear metals than what we should have at this point. Our wear metals should be very low. Um, certainly that's if we I've get, I've been watching and I'm like, man, that just don't make sense for a brand new rebuilt engine. You're right. You're right. It doesn't make sense. Now, if we have fuel dilution that could increase our wear metals. So that's a little part of it. Your silicon is right at 10, which is kind of our cutoff. If it's more than 10, we go look to figure out why you're right there on the lines. Kind of same with your fuel dilution. And both of those things could cause wear metals. But um, um, your your soot is not bad at all, so I think it's tuned well. I think it's running properly. I just think we probably have some tolerances in this engine that aren't what we want them to be. In the silicone, I count more of that. I was running out of El Paso, hit a dust storm, and just wiped out a brand new air filter. Okay, and and, and that'll certainly do it. Yep, and that that'll I've certainly do it. I, again, I don't I don't think I would get too worried about this, but the fact that it's already you know burning a gallon at six thousand, we're seeing some wear metals. I, I would just um, I, I, you know do all the stuff we always talk about anyway. Keep it tuned right. Um, keep doing your samples so we catch problems early. I mean, I, I don't think this is going to be one of those rebuilds that you get a million miles out of but i am pretty confident you should get six or seven hundred thousand that's well i've got it scheduled now i, I do i am running they put i changed thermostats in it they put a 165 thermostat so it runs a little cool and i've got it scheduled to put a 195 thermostat back in it and i have been idling a lot this last yeah that uh, those those cool temperatures could cause some excess fuel dilution as well. That's, that's what I was thinking. That might be a possibility. So I was going to change it. I've got a mix of oils in this thing. You can't get Rotella hardly half the time, so I've got a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, and and, and that'll that change filters and change get that oil out. Yeah, that can get us some weird readings too. I, I, you know, again, I wouldn't worry too much about this. I think it's time to do a reset, get a good oil in this thing, um, and then just, just take care of it. And I think you've got a couple good years easy out of this still. Got another, I'm going to go ahead and do the overhead. It's been a year since I did the overhead. Yeah, can't hurt. Although with your fuel dilution at less than 0.1, I'm not sure that I would. I, or, I'm not, I'm not fuel dilution soot. I mean, when the overhead gets out, we start seeing some soot numbers climb, and less than 0.1, you can't get any lower than that. So I'm not sure that I would mess with the overhead right now. Now, on the oxidation, someone mentioned earlier the heater on the OPS filter. Yeah. No, that's not true. That's not true. I, I, I look at thousands of samples every month, and... 80% of them have OPSs. I ran OPS for years. I, you can run an OPS for years and never see um, a problem with that. It's not getting hot enough. It, it's only getting hot enough just past the boiling point. We're only talking 200 and some degrees here. Oil doesn't really start to break down till almost 400. 
what else would cause the oxidation? You could just have hot spots in the uh, in the engine somewhere. That's the only thing I think. But like I said, the engine runs too cool. Right. Yeah. It's certainly not happening like, because burn, burn, burn. now <laughs> he, here's the other thing you mentioned. You had a hodgepodge of oils here. If we get some really old oil, it can oxidize on its own. And some of that oil, is, like I said, it's got 85,000 miles on it. Yeah, the only, I, I don't get too worried about high oxidation unless we start to see, you know, overheating issues. Then we know, okay, that's why it was oxidizing. Let's go find the overheating. But oxidation is usually not that big of a deal for me. Okay. All right, that's why I wanted to get some history before I caused it. And when this one shot up to the 4.3, I was like, hey, that's something. What do I need to look? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think I'd still hold off a little bit. I wouldn't run out and try to put injectors in this thing, especially with all the shortages sure. we're having. And I, I would just hold off. I, I don't see the fuel dilution no, causing any big problems. I would wait and see what kind of history we get on this. My fuel lines are starting to break down. I think I'm getting some trash in my filters, plugging up filters pretty quick. Uh, it might be I'll time to replace there. fuel lines then and check the tank for cleaning. Would that do anything for the uh, fuel dilution? No, it really won't. Uh, my thinking was that some of that trash get by, maybe got an injector plugged or something. Uh, I, I guess it's possible we could have an injector streaming because of it, but um, probably not. Like I said, I would do a good oil change on this. Find the best quality oil you can, um, and then let's just keep an eye on it. Well, I've got Ambisol. Uh, you can get it. <laughs> yeah, that that would be fine. I mean, that's a good quality oil. And and I, I'm going to cut you loose. Try, and I understand we're seeing shortages, try not to mix and match oils right now. And I've said in the past, it doesn't hurt anything. All oils are compatible. They are, but it can make it a little harder to read oil samples. And right now, when we're having a problem and we're trying to monitor it, try to stay with the same oil as you can. And when you put in an additive, make sure you get the base additive only. Let, let's not thicken this oil right now till we figure out what's going on. All right, let's go to Ohio. Brian, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, that time of the rate cycle when everybody starts to say, oh, my costs are going up, rates are going down. How can they do this to us? Yeah. Is there anything that people can still do at this point to survive it? Because obviously they jumped in without really researching the industry, knowing that this happens. And their brother's cousin's making a fortune in trucking a year ago, and they're going to go do it too. Is there anything they can still do? Yes, there is. Um, will it help? Really just depends on how deep they've gotten themselves into trouble. It, it's hard to say. Uh, most people probably won't do some of the things that I might recommend because they sound kind of drastic. If, um, if I were new in this industry and I had paid more than $50,000 for the truck I was driving right now and I was struggling, I'd sell it today while prices are still high enough and I'd go buy a $10,000 truck if, I could, if you can find them. And I, they're still out there and they'll, they'll be more of them soon. 
Um, but it, it's sometimes when you're in a position like this, you've got to make big decisions. And most people are too afraid. And they'll just kind of dwindle out of business um, rather than make the big decision now when they still can. And that decision isn't going to be available for much longer. The price of trucks are already starting to drop. But I, I think right now, if you have a fairly recent truck that you paid more than 50000 for and you're struggling, I would think about selling it. All of my other advice on what you do is the same advice I give all the time. I mean, there's no secret. There's no magic bullet. Um, there's no trick or hack we can use to save somebody. The way you save them is the same way we were trying to help them in the first place. Know your numbers, control your costs, build relationships, understand rates and lanes, you know, all of the, keep learning and reading and all of those things we talk about that makes you better at business. You know, read the book, Seven Habits and follow it and start applying it to your business. Nothing different than I've been saying for 30 years. And yes, there still is time to save some people. Some people may be too far gone already. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple people in mind that I'm kind of close to. I've I've tried to pass along your information, referred them to you to listen, join Truck and Tribe, get answers, and they just kind of refuse. They well, I'm making great. I don't need help. Okay, but well <laughs> now's the time that they're saying, "Well, what do I do?" And I'm like, hey, it's, "I don't know now, honestly." Yeah, but, well, it, here's but, the good news. Now you do know. Nothing different. There, again, there's no. That. Yeah, there's no magic bullet, no trick, no secret, no hack. All the things we talk about that help you build a good, solid business are the same way you get yourself out of trouble. Okay. Now, here's the challenge with that. I'm sure some will fail because that's kind of what forces the cycle is. Some fail out, rates come back up, everything gets back in equilibrium. Yep. Yeah, some will fail. There's no doubt about it because there isn't going to be enough freight for all the trucks on the road. That's going to be the problem. Um, inflation is, is just making that problem even worse. But the, the, here's, here's why that answer isn't going to help some people. The things we talk about to build a good business, know your numbers, understand rates, build relationships, all of those things we talk about day in and day out, none of them work quickly. And many people have put themselves in a position where they need something to change quickly. And those are the ones that will fail. Uh, all these things take time, um, months, sometimes even years. I mean, when, when you hear some of the people that call the show regularly and we talk about their numbers, Matt and some of the others, if we go back and look at Matt's history, he's a good one. And we look at before he started doing anything different, you know, when he just did what everybody else did, you got in the truck, you drove, you made money, you tried to survive. His numbers looked kind of like everybody else's. And then if we looked when he came to his first CMC and started changing the way he did things, every year his operation gets better and better. But we're talking about a decade now, more than that. So this stuff doesn't work quick. But if you're in trouble, you might as well start doing this stuff. I mean, you, you might save yourself. Yeah, I, I spent the time making relationships when rates were high. Instead of exactly for that extra 10 or 15 cents a mile, I, perfect. Yeah, let's do it. 
Perfect. I, I ran those consistent and recommended that they done the same thing. And they kind of made fun of me. Hey, you can make another hundred bucks by doing this one. But sorry. I'm, I'm in this for the long haul, not the next few months. There you go. And in 22 years, this is what the third, at least third major cycle that I'm starting to see. I've never seen rates as high as they were the last year ago. Oh, nobody has. But I also think that'll make this whole cycle worse, not necessarily because the bottom will be lower, but because the high preceding that was so much higher, people based their their personal finances, their business <laughs> finances on those just way overinflated rates. But Brian, you just hit the nail right on the head. You are exactly right. That's why this one is going to be tough on a lot of people because it was so easy to make money. And people overspent on the truck they bought. They, they're now, you can't help but overspend now because prices on everything are up. We have shortages. This one's going to be ugly. Well, thank you for what you do. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. And thanks for trying to help other people. I mean, I, I, I'd love to help people. Um, it's what I do. This is going to be a tough time. There are still people we can save, and I'd, I'd love to help them. There are some that uh, are probably too far gone already. Let's, uh, let's go to Georgia. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Got some questions about the yogurt. Yeah. Um, how long is it good for once I make it? I have no idea. Now, I do, I can give you, um, mine's lasted at least a month. I think it was actually five or six weeks. When I went on the road this time, I tried to take as much as I could with me because I knew I wasn't going to be making any on the road. And some of it got out to about six weeks. Um, one of the signs you can look for is if okay. you see any mold on it. When you open it up and see mold on it, it's probably time to get rid of it. I know people who will say just scrape off the mold and eat the other stuff. Uh, I don't like to do that. So if I see mold, that's enough for me. It's gone. Um, after six weeks, mine had no mold, but it started to get some kind of funky flavors to it. It started to get really, really strong and a little funky and almost cheesy kind of. Um, so, and I was almost done with it anyway, and it got so strong tasting at the end, I kind of just stopped. Um, so I guess that could happen, but it, it's, it seems to me like every batch I made is still good after a month. Yeah, mine, uh, it's probably only three weeks old, but it just turned kind of watery after a couple of weeks for some reason. Well, that's interesting. Huh. You know, if it turns a little watery, but it's it's probably got. It still tastes okay, and there's no mold. You'll be fine. Okay. And my, I've probably got two tablespoons left in the mason jar. Can I just throw the, uh, whatever that stuff yeah. called, emulin in there and yep. the milk and cream in there? Absolutely. Yeah. And can you explain explain to me why I hear bits and pieces, why I'm not supposed to use ultra-pasteurized or homogenized milk? So you it, can it, use, it, you can uh, use homogenized homogenized usually doesn't cause any problems. What causes problems is ultra pasteurization. And what, uh, what ultra pasteurization is, they use a much higher temperature to pasteurize, but a much shorter time frame. And that, that's because that's how they make money. 
The quicker you can run the, the product through a factory, the more money you make. So rather than using a gentle pasteurization like 140 degrees for two hours or 20 minutes or whatever the numbers are, there's several numbers out there you can go by, they'll do something like 250 degrees for just a couple minutes. And it will pasteurize it, but it damages the proteins. And the, the bacteria change the protein in order to thicken the milk. That's what causes the milk to become yogurt and get thick and creamy, is that the bacteria change the proteins. And it, the process is the same like when you cook an egg. Your egg is runny, but you cook it and it firms up. The proteins um, changed. So that's the issue with the ultra pasteurized. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes it works okay. Sometimes you can use ultra pasteurized and you get a product that comes out all right. So for whatever reason, those proteins didn't get too damaged. The next time you go to use the exact same brand ultra pasteurized and you get runny yogurt that keeps breaking apart. I'm just not willing to take that chance. Right. Yeah, I couldn't find any that wasn't ultra-pasteurized. I, you know, I did find grass, 100% grass-fed. Um, I used a combination of half and half and milk, and every time I made it, it turned out pretty firm, so I guess I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, another yeah. question I had about uh, fermentation. When I uh, fermented my asparagus, I opened it up, and I had some mold on the top of the stalks. I just wiped it off and uh, poured some of the water out and poured regular tap water in there. Is that okay? Or is that messing anything up? Um, it, it's hard to say, but if you mess something up on a ferment, you'll know it. You'll either have visible mold like that, or it will smell so bad you wouldn't eat it. So I, I don't worry too much. If you mess up a ferment, you're going to know it, and you're probably not going to eat it. Now, the mold you saw on top, what did it look like? Greenish, white. Okay. It's that, just on the top of the, uh, the stems they, to cut off in, so, on two or three of them. And they were sticking above the water, weren't they? Uh, I, they weren't. They were actually under the water. Were they really? That's unusual. Normally you get that mold because you allow the food to come up out of the brine and that's when you'll get some mold. You know, there's a couple schools of thought. There's people that say when you get mold on top of your ferment, just scrape it all off, you'll be fine. Other people say, no, it can work its way down into the ferment. You shouldn't do it. Um, I, I would say, you know, experiment. If you had some mold and you wiped it off and you put some water in there and it, you, you have a fermented taste and there's no visible mold, I would eat it. If you get sick and there's none of these things that are going to kill you or make you really sick, but if you had some, you know, upset digestion or some diarrhea a day or two after you eat it, then I might say, well, maybe it wasn't such a great idea to wipe off the mold. But I, I don't, there are lots of people that say they've been doing that for years and it never bothers them. Hmm. Now there is right. something else. My questions. There is something else you can get on top of your ferments. Um, and it's not mold. It might look like it. It's, it, it's going to be pure white and filmy. And it's actually called cam yeast, K A H M yeast. And it won't hurt you. 
It looks pretty funky on there. It won't hurt you. You can, you don't even have to. I know some people that just stir it in and eat it and it's fine. It won't hurt you. It does have a smell to it, not horrible. um, And it has, it will change the taste a little bit. So if you get it, you can scrape it off, throw it in the refrigerator for a day or two if you're still fermenting and then bring it back out. Sometimes that'll get rid of it. Other times I've seen once you have KME started, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. Um, but again, take it out of that jar, scrape off all the white stuff, put it in you know, a new fresh brine if you want, and that'll usually take care of it. Or just eat it because it won't hurt you. Alrighty then. I appreciate your uh, advice and everything, Kevin. Have a good day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go this time to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, well, uh, interesting. Um, I did a uh, overseas container on my flatbed, and um, the. Uh, the company that I did it for wanted to have me do it steady. So I told them, I said, the rate that I did it for was a little low. And they, they wanted me to sharpen my pencil and come back. It was an every other week run. And it was supposed to be steady. So I gave them a rate. I figured a flat rate of 260 a mile and then a fuel surcharge since it was going to be a steady thing. So they didn't understand that. I explained what how I did the fuel surcharge. Pretty much how some of the carriers do it, where you take a dollar twenty-five off the national average and then you divide by six. Yeah. Um, so that's how I did it, and he was like, "Well, that's that's going to bring the rate higher." I said, "Well, you have to look at it. It's a double-edged sword here. Uh, rate fuel prices are going to go up, and um, and and it's going to help me offset my cost. But when fuel prices come down, the rate." come down considerable as well. And that'll happen over time, I told him. You know? Right. So then he says he has another problem. The the receiver, the people he's selling the product to, everything is getting too expensive, so they stopped, the, they stopped this for about six months now. <laughs> oh, boy. So you see the cracks in the foundation here. Yeah. So it was no harm, no foul. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm working. It was just something that he liked my he, he liked the way I did things. Him and I had a nice couple long conversations over the course of when I did it a couple weeks back, and he reached out to me like he he just wants someone that he can depend on, and he felt that I was a trustworthy guy, which was nice to hear, you know. Um, and he said, you know, when it comes back up, he'll definitely reach out to me see what we can put together. I said, okay, you know. So that was nice, you know. Um, but you see the cracks in the foundation now, where you see the the suppliers starting to slow down their their purchasing because of 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 pressing. Yeah, it, it, it's happening. Um, you know, here's a case I was talking about people not understanding fuel surcharge this morning. Here's a shipper who obviously doesn't understand it either. But your answer was correct. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you look at him and go, "Hey, look." You know, all the rates right now, spot market rates, contract rates, everything's based on the fuel price the way it is. And if I quote you a rate right. for today's fuel price and the price goes back to two bucks a gallon, you're getting screwed every week. Right, right. You know, and, and he wanted, you know, he said, can you sharpen your pencil? I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. 
I said, I'll go home over the weekend. This was last, last Friday we had the conversation. So I'll go home over the weekend. I said, and I'll look at that run, and I'll break down the numbers, and I'll try to figure out a, 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 a way to put this together for you. So it hopefully works for both of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's perfect. You know, one of the things you could look right. at since this is a dedicated run, um, oh, shoot, what's that website? Um, ProMiles runs another website, uh, and they tried to make this kind of a thing in the industry, and it never really caught on. You know, based on the technology okay. we have today, this idea of using the DOE fuel average for the surcharge is kind of old school, and there's much better ways of doing it. Um, ProMiles okay. has a program where you actually base your fuel surcharge on the route and the real fuel prices on that route today because we have all that data. So you may want to look right, at this right. run and you may be able to go back to them and say, hey, look, you know, I, I did some digging and some research. Turns out the fuel price in this lane is slightly lower than the national average. Here's my adjustment to the fuel surcharge. It just may be something you can negotiate with. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, I'll definitely look into that even if I don't do this because he said everything was on hold temporarily. So, uh, But it's always good to have that information in your back pocket. So. I can give them, you know, give people better rates on that, you know? Yeah. And that was the idea behind it, that if it really protect, you know, it was just a better way of doing fuel surcharge. It protected both parties better. If I'm using a DOE average, but I'm in a lane where the fuel price is really expensive for some reason, I'm getting screwed. If I'm in a lane where the fuel price is cheaper for some reason, then the shipper's getting screwed. So if we use this, right. you know, real time, real price in each lane, it just, it's a better fuel surcharge program. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, I've, I've also noticed the spot market prices are staying flat or actually have come down in the flatbed market. I mean, in the lanes I've been looking at anyway. Well, I, I um, pretty regular, so. yeah, one of my other notes, I had so many of them today. I didn't get to it was, uh, I was going to go over some of Noel Perry's, um, numbers. So we saw rates start to go back up over the last couple of weeks, little bit, nothing major, but they started at least to move back up. And that was what we thought is the summer seasonal increase that we see every year, except they've already started to come back down. They were only heading up for less than three weeks and they're already on their way back down. That's a really bad sign right now. Right. Well, that's, that's why I said that because I did notice that little surge where I was getting a couple hundred dollars more for the same route. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now I see them back down, maybe even a little bit lower than they were prior to that. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, another thing I had going on here, I've been kind of, well, I, oh, I, oh, just, kind of, just, I have been Just so you know. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to that number because that number might be important. Um, so the rate today, and you are exactly right, it dropped down to about a, now I'm going to give rates without fuel. So what I'm talking about is we can go look up the base rate of freight without the fuel surcharge in it. Now on the spot market, 
the rate is the rate, but we know that the, the fuel price is, is affecting that rate on the spot market. It has to. But right now, if we take fuel out of the picture, the rates had gotten down to about $1.70 a mile. They started back up, got to about $1.75, $1.80. This is overall, all, all the segments averaged. And now within a week, they're back down to about that $1.70 number again. So that number may also help you if you go back to renegotiate with these guys. I mean, your price of 260 well, was really I, strong. No, I know it is. I know it is. And I'm trying to hedge my bets here, of course. You know, I mean, I... I, I want to be on 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 the on the high end. If yeah. I'm going to if I'm going to shelf some of my customers, I want to be on the high end because I I don't you know I mean I'm they're going to have to find other carriers that are you know because I have I have brokers that call me direct when they have freight and you know to see where I'm at and see if I can help them. You know I have yeah. a good four or five brokers that I that you know and if I'm going to shelf them every other week, I need to I need to hedge my bets here. You know, so that's why I went with a 260 a mile rate overall, you know, with a, you know, now I know I can come down and still make money. I just, you know, why, if I can, if I could sell it at that price, why not try to sell it at that price? Got it. And Angie um, did an awesome job and sent that site over to me that I couldn't remember. It's run by pro miles, but it's if, the best. if you go to the site, truckmiles.com. Okay. It will help you calculate your fuel surcharge based on the lane. Okay, truckmiles.com. I yep. definitely will look at that. All right, excellent, excellent. So uh, getting back to my health, uh, I have been lazy, and I've been slowly incorporating things that I haven't in a while. Um, what I'm going to do now for the next couple of weeks is just go strict carnivore keto and see if that helps me, but I may need some advice on some digestion if this doesn't work out. Okay. So uh, um, I'm either going to maybe try to do, I haven't done a Nutri-Q in a long while, so I may do a Nutri-Q and then maybe incorporate, you know, Laura and you uh, to see where I'm at. But I'm going to wait until I try to get a baseline here with my eating habits and see how everything's, you know. I feel Perfect. fine. I just noticed I've, I've put on some weight. I, I just... You know, just certain things. So, yeah, it, a, re, been, a reset like never said, hurts. I, right, right. That's why I want to do maybe, a, you know, uh, at least a 30-day reset and then maybe take a Nutri-Q and see where I'm at. Just want but, to think, what, what do you think about that? I, I think that's perfect because, again, it, it's kind of like when somebody's starting in the beginning. When you do a good, strict 30 days kind of carnivore-ish keto things will change. There's no doubt about it. So why address things you're dealing with right now when we know they're, they're going to change if you do the right stuff and you get strict. So do that for 30 days and then let's see, there might be nothing to address at the end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got some, I got some, uh, some beta TCP. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a couple in the morning prior to my NDK coffee just to help maybe get the everything moving a little bit better yeah yep yeah i would i would do do exactly what you're planning and if there's anything you want to address at the end of the 30 days do a nutri q and we'll get on it okay all right excellent all right sir well thank you it's good talking to you everybody be safe out there and everyone have a good monday 
All right. Thanks for the call. Great stuff. Let's go to Ohio this time. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, got a couple things on the fuel surcharge and also on these, all the newbies and, and uh, not listening when they probably should have been listening. Yeah. <laughs> but on the, on the fuel surcharge, um, <laughs> uh, I've got four loads I run every week. I'm, I'm out five days and four nights, and I'm home three nights. But three of the loads are true contract loads with a fuel surcharge on top of them. Uh, and right now we're getting 78 cents a mile on the fuel surcharge. Uh, my fuel cost, I'm getting 9.12 miles per gallon for the last 30 days. Wow. 54 cents a mile. Wow. Um, so that's all miles. That's all miles is 54. Now to 78, that, that's the, obviously that's the loaded miles. I, yeah. I have about 12 to 15%, you know, of deadhead. So it's still, a my total cost, uh, my total income is still in the six, high sixties range for all miles for every week. It, so it's actually a profit center. When you're over nine miles per gallon, it's a pretty good profit center right now. Oh, it's huge. And, uh, so that's something people, yeah, people need to think about. And um, but the difference in the in the fuel surcharge, the way I've got it for those three loads, because they're contract loads, true contract loads, and they're pretty long term contracts, which in the past have got have run this course. Even in the downturn of nineteen, they didn't come. They didn't come back and say. We need that money back. <laughs> right. Didn't. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of places right now, the contract customers going back. Uh, I've got one customer that my lane, and and I'll I'll take some credit for this, is because I'm the only one that can get it there in time because I know how to work efficiently with the. But we have we have a lot of flexibility in the logs. You know, since September 29th of 2020, when when you know when they when they changed the rules a little bit, we got a lot of flexibility. I'm the only one to get the load there. I'm getting uh, I'm getting five fifty a mile plus fuel surcharge on that load, and it didn't go back down. But all the other all the other insulation loads dropped forty percent. You know, wow. And, you know, it's always pointing a big a biggie out there. They asked for it, but because this is customer directed, and they got to have that freight at six a.m., I can get it there. There you go. <laughs> I've been able to keep that load. So I'm getting. I'm getting like six twenty-eight this week, six twenty-eight a mile for this mile. <laughs> wow! One day load, yeah. You know, and almost three grand. You know, and, and of course, even after land starts cut, it's still over, well over two. Uh, and but even the even the spot market loads, and eighty-five percent of our loads on our load board are spot market loads. Right. You know, the, I always tell people the, the the loads that are contract loads, for the most part, they never hit the board. Mine never hit. Them. Yeah, I learned that early on from good DCA. Right. That that you build the relationship keep it long term. Yep. And my load home from Wisconsin is seven years I've been doing it, and they've paid me over seven hundred thousand to the truck in that seven years. Wow. That's awesome. You you know, you get Yeah, I mean and it and it makes it right right now, I mind having you know, everybody else saying how theirs has come down. I'm still doing between six and seven thousand a week. And I'm a free night. And so that's to the truck. That's after. So you can do this out there, but you've got to build those relationships and not jump and run for every spot market rate you see. That's $8 a mile sometimes. It's one time $8. I would rather, I've got one load that's about four twenty a mile forever. The load is about five fifty a mile forever. And then that, that other one's like six twenty twenty five. So if you if you take care of those customers 
that money is going to be there forever. Uh, you know, six months ago, people were laughing at me for not running the load board and grabbing these, these crazy, right. crazy loads that were out there. Yep. But you, you've got to stick with what you, what you got. 25% of all the contract loads in the country were being kicked back for that reason. People were jumping and running. Yeah. Now it's only down to 7%. 7% of the loads right now are getting kicked back. Uh, we see that. I'm one of my main customers is Harbor Freight. We, our, our load count, we're the, we're the safety valve. We get all the loads that get kicked back by the big boys. And, and we have our loads and then we have their loads. Well, right now we got our loads kicking them back because the load pays well. And, and so, you know, people have to understand it's, it's not, it's not an agent. It's not a broker. It's not, you know, everybody out there is trying to reduce their costs from the other end. It's mainly the shippers and receivers. They're just, their intermediary is that broker or agent. And, and the agent at Landstar wants to get the biggest dollars for us that they can for one reason. They only they get 7%. And that's, that's it. right. They get 7% of a bigger number yeah. or a smaller number. Exactly. And people will go on Facebook. You see it. They'll go on Facebook and say, oh, this agent, he's trying to screw me to take the money. Well, yeah, Landstar, they don't allow that. It goes, everything goes through Landstar. Yep. That's why they're our back office. And, you know, they're our back office because it's all it's a, it's a level playing field between us and the agent and everybody else. Like, okay, you, the agent's got to be your friend, can't be your enemy. So that's, you know, that's just, that's one of the things. They, all these all these younger people that have jumped into the industry right now, they've gone out and gotten a lot of debt, you know, they're asking why now. They should have been asking why when they got into it. But, uh, you know, you, you, you yourself have said you see people get their authority or brokering or get their authority uh, to drive a truck, and then they get on Facebook and say, well, what do I do next? Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. that was pretty, pretty bad planning. But so, you know, like so we, we've got to get people, more people, the people in your tribe or the people that are out here that are running the contract. Break. You know, we don't see our tribe members. We don't see them in truck stops. because they're like me. I go stay at my customers a lot. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's the reason we don't run across each other. You look around a truck stop and, you know, it's basically people that are sitting there waiting for bottom feeding loads. So, so, so right now, if every you know everybody got out there and just you know they should have been six months ago locking in contract freight. Now they would they would be in much better shape if they had done that. So, uh, uh, but but oh, another thing about the fuel surcharge at Landstar, uh, we get it on every load, but you know contract loads like mine is on top. Uh, this load right here I've got right here is a three PL load today. It's only running you know, it's only running two hundred miles, but you know it's like six bucks a mile. Uh, but that's okay. I'm getting uh, like $170 of fuel surcharge taken out of the total. So I'm getting 100% of that. So right. we're getting a higher percentage of even even spot market loads like this. And uh, so they, they do put it in on all of ours. So basically we're getting 100% on the fuel, even on spot market loads. Yeah. Um, they're, they're doing that here. You're not going to see that out on, on if you broker, a, if you got your own authority and brokering a load, it's all in, like you said. Um, but but anybody that's a lease for a carrier, you know, they should be they should be asking them to do that kind of thing. At least they're getting a higher percentage of that fuel, you know, than they are of the of the line haul. So, Correct. Um, that's that's another reason people can do that. But uh, but now it's, it's like I say, right now people need to be they, they should have been paying down debt and they should have been doing what they needed before. But I have a feeling in the next six to twelve months there's going to be a lot of easy lot of lot of lot of cheap equipment out there um you know 
I need I need a driver right now. It's hard to find them, but in a few months, I think they're going to be available because they maybe can drive the truck if they couldn't run the business. So hopefully that part of it will make it a little bit easier to find some drivers. At that point. I hope so. I think that'll happen. Yeah. Is, my, yeah, I think so. The only good thing is you know, my extra truck, uh, right now I've got it leased out, uh, uh, you know, I got it leased out to Tad, you know Tad. And uh, so this truck's been down 10 months with that one box. So, <laughs> so, uh, so he's, he's got that right now. But, uh, uh, but you know, that, that's the thing. At least he had it. It would have put him out of business. And, you know, Tad, he, he's a runner. He, he's making, you know, he's making a lot of money with it, and, uh, which is good. So, uh, but, but, yeah, every, you know, there's going to be a lot more cheap equipment out there, uh, unfortunately. And people will learn these cycles. Uh, you know, that most of the, like you said, nobody's seen a recessionary cycle that's out here unless you've been out here a long time. Yeah. And uh, so I'm looking. Yeah, definitely. So, but we appreciate everything you do. Uh, keep, keep up the good work. I like the new format. Uh, uh, the only thing, and I, I suppose this is something I, I, I need to shoot Aaron a message, but the only thing we can't pause the live app. That's just something that has to be something as big as serious XM to go fight like five hours on i take it but uh everything else that app is fantastic um everything the content is good you're you know able to go back and and uh, listen actually we're able to go back and listen to a lot of the very very old shows too yeah yeah you know, some of rico's old shows and everything so so we appreciate everything you're doing we get everything out there i'm ready to get you get you built i don't think it's gonna take you that long to build back up to your to your audience you had on Sirius XM and that was in the tens of thousands I'm I'm certain you know so uh, I, I, I think as soon as you're able to get the app out to everybody I have a feeling this it's going to grow pretty quickly so uh, but we do appreciate everything you guys do in there all right I appreciate it thanks and and uh, you know we're not marketing this yet at all we're actually trying to keep it quiet but uh the word is spreading our our numbers keep going up as far as listeners go and uh we're actually trying to hold them down right now until we get all the technology worked out but we're taking our time we're, we're trying lots of different options and possibilities on friday i actually had a technology issue and couldn't do the show i think that was the first time in a in quite a while I wasn't able to do the show because of technology. We've got a lot of the bugs worked out. I still have some issues I haven't been able to solve, mostly for our mobile hosts. That's really what I've been focusing on, um, trying to figure out a good mobile setup for our hosts, including myself. I like to travel. I like going out in the coach, and um, I need a good mobile setup. So that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm working right now. Let's continue with the calls. Let's go to Texas. Gary, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. I sent you an oil sample. All right. I've got it here in front of me. We're looking at a 3406E. What year is it? 99. Uh, actually, everything on this sample looks pretty darn good. Uh, you're using Catalyst? I am. Okay. Iron is just a tad high. I almost didn't ask the question because it's not as high as we normally see with the catalyst, but it was slightly elevated. Um, the one thing I'm a little concerned about on this sample, and I'm not sure why it did it, but your lead jumped up. Um, right. I see that. 
Yeah, that's a little concerning. Uh, any change in oil pressure? No. Okay. Oil pressure's been about the same. And you've got, what, 800 and some thousand miles on an in-frame on this one? Right, yeah. Okay. There, there's one possibility. Um, do you know how many times this engine's been rebuilt? Once. Just once, okay. Um, what? There's a possibility when we start to get to the end of the life of a truck or an in-frame, that's when wear metals will start to climb. You may be at the very beginning of that because everything, um, everything except aluminum went up. I'm not too concerned. 10 on lead is not that big of a deal. This could be anomaly. It could just go away. Um, all we can do with this one is just keep an eye on it. You know, if wear metals keep increasing and there's no reason why, like your fuel dilution isn't high enough to cause wear metals, your um, silicon is really, really low, That's which is good. That's not causing any wear metals. Um, there's no coolant to speak of in the oils, so that's not causing anywhere. There's no reason that the oil is causing the problem. So if the oil isn't causing us to have higher wear metals, then what is? And sometimes it's just that we're kind of at the end of the life of that engine. Okay, if that's the case, will it continue just to go up a little? Yeah, it'll just it'll just all go up a little bit at a time. You're not going to see any big spike. And then all we can do is just keep an eye on it and, you know, take care of the engine. And, and you, you've still got plenty of life in this thing. I mean, I'm not worried that you need an in-frame in three months, but we just might be at that point in the engine where you're just going to see higher wear metals. Okay. And I hear you talk about soot. I don't see soot anywhere on there. What is it listed? On? Oh, I do tell you. I just now see it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yours is point one and point two. Super low. Yeah. Yeah. And right. what that tells us is that your engine is tuned well and you're driving it properly. Okay. So soot isn't causing us any problem. Uh-huh. So again, there's nothing in here that should say where metals are going to go up. And only one number really went up, and it didn't go up all that much. So I, all we can do now is wait and see if this becomes a pattern or not. But there's nothing to worry about on this one. How high should the, before I start worrying about it, how high should I let that lead get if it continues? Well, what we're really looking for, if that lead continues at some point, you're going to see copper. And when you see copper, now then, now how much oil does this engine use? It uses, uh, I think I added like three gallons, possibly four, but I think three between 25,000 and 50,000 this last Yeah, so roughly every 8,000 miles, still plenty of life left in the cylinders. This may be one of those, and again, I am totally speculating here because a little rise in um, lead right now doesn't really tell us much. We have to wait to see a pattern. But if it turns out the lead keeps going and we see a little bit of copper, this might be one of those times where you just roll in a set of bearings. We don't do that very often. Um, but 
occasionally we just see an engine that starts to put wear on the bearings and the upper cylinders are still fine. So rolling in a set of bearings, even though we don't do it very often, might just be the way to go on this one. Yeah. Okay. And over on the base, it's got a flag, green flag there on it. 353. Yeah, that's nothing to worry about at all. If that gets below two, I would worry. And I wouldn't even worry then because all we have to do is buy some hotshot secret base additive or some Luberfiner filters with base in them. We can solve that problem pretty quickly. Okay. So I'll just keep going to 75,000 and do it again. Yep. Oh, and uh, one other thing. On your main oil filter, the big one, on the right side of the engine, the last several times before I started doing the uh, extended oil drains, I've had trouble when I screw that up, it starts leaking. And I replaced it. Another one, the next one I put on, it would leak. And then I find one that won't leak. And I've been having trouble with that on and off. Have you changed oil? Have you inspected the, the mating surface on the, the oil filter housing itself to see if it's nicked up somewhere? I have, and I don't see it, but it could be. I don't know of any other thing that it would leak from. And this one, I was going in, you know, I changed the oil filters yesterday, and uh, it was leaking a little bit. And I'd spray it off with the ether and watch it and try to tighten it up just a little bit. It leaked a little bit more. So this morning, and it wasn't dripping. It was just kind of running down the filters. So this morning, I've been watching it. And it still is a leak, but it's not enough to go all the way down to the bottom and drip. Okay. So I don't know if that, I don't yeah, know why I, it, it sounds like that, that mating surface might need some cleaning up. So how do you clean that up if that's what it needs? Or Well, the first thing I do is take a look at it and see, I mean, if you have like a major nick in there or, you know, a, a real um, problem, we may need to look at it. It may just be, you know, a little bit of emery cloth or something to clean up that surface if you can't see anything major on it. I see. All right. Give that a shot. And okay, well, that it, again, like you said, it's not even actually dripping. It it, it almost seems like it, um, it kind of seats itself after a little bit. Let's go to Oregon. Mark, welcome to the program. Good morning. Hey, I have a little question here. Uh, first of all, since I've been, I'm not a, a, a driver, I'm a carpenter. I've been listening to your show now for a couple of years and, got me to change my diet, uh, which I like a lot of people I slack off on and, uh, go from dirty to muddy keto back to uh, clean. Uh, anyway, you know, listening to your show, hearing these, uh, drivers talk on how the diet has changed at first, you know, I was like, okay, is this a gimmick or what? Heard a driver talk about, he tried it for two weeks, like you recommended. And he was going up some stairs and, uh, he didn't even notice that he was running up the stairs to his house until his wife told him. So then I decided, well, you know, it's time for me to try it. And I had wonderful results. So I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, good. Right now, uh, I had one question. 
this doctor, I'm sure you've heard of him, Dr. Grundy. He's all over Facebook. Yeah. He has supplements and stuff. Uh, I thought he was pretty decent until I was listening to one of his things uh, this weekend, and he was really pushing the plant-based over the meat, and so I deleted him. Uh, any, on him, do you kind of feel the same way, or is he somewhat reputable? He, he's reputable. Um, we don't all agree in the natural health world, just and we shouldn't. There's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot we're still learning. I hope that we continue to keep an open mind and we're able to admit when we're wrong. I hope we don't end up like the traditional medical system that never, ever wants to admit when it got something wrong. And if you can't admit you got something wrong, you're never going to learn, you're never going to grow, and you're never going to fix the problem. So there is still a lot of areas where natural practitioners don't always, you know, agree on things. We have um, people like Dr. Mark Hyman, who I respect tremendously, is pretty heavy into more plant food in the diet. Uh, Dr. Will Cole, um, also excellent, but he believes in more of a vegetarian keto diet. You know, he does have some animal products, but he calls it ketotarian. On the other end of the extreme, we have Dr. Saladino, who is, you know, really, really promoting carnivore, saying, Plants are really kind of emergency food, and they bring their own problems. Now, all of those doctors that I just named are all reputable. None of them are, you know, any kind of a scam. It's they believe the way they believe from their research, their results, whatever, and the fact that some people are bio-individual. You know, we're not all completely the same. There are some real patterns, you know, the more real food we eat, the healthier we are, the lower carb we eat, the healthier we are. The argument now really, and I don't know when we'll kind of solve this if we ever will, really the big deal left in the natural health world, one of them is how much plant food do we really need in our diet, if any? And does it make us healthier or does it actually interfere with our health? Um, there's this commercial I talked about it the other day for that product balance of nature. I did a whole show on it or an open one day. I'm not a fan of this product at all. I think it's a total waste of money. There's lots of problems with it. Their commercials make me crazy because on the commercial, um, all ever, almost every testimonial on their commercial, they start off by saying just a year ago, I was so sick. I couldn't even go out and, play with my kids and the woman looks like she's all of about 30 or 35 and but I took balance of nature and now she's out playing soccer with her kids well first off I want to know what was wrong with you that you were so sick that you couldn't go out and play with your kids they never say that and you really you're going to tell me you were so sick you couldn't get out of bed and all you did was take these veggie and fruit capsules and now you're fixed that's such bullshit and every one of their commercials sounds like that. Um, but there's one of them where the guy says, there will never be an argument about whether fruits and veggies are healthy for us. Well, you're wrong because we're already arguing about it because we don't know for sure. There seems to be some fairly strong evidence that fruits and vegetables aren't all that healthy for us. Right. So I guess that was a long way of saying, um, you know, I don't know. 
There are some practitioners that promote a lot more plant material and plant foods in the diet. I have found through, you know, experimentation on my own that honestly, the less plants I have in my diet, the better I feel. And that's how I kind of, I've noticed with myself anyway, whenever I do more of the carnivore, uh, keto, whatever you want to call it, that I feel better. And yeah. kind of brings me to, I mean, my main reason for calling is I've had chronic migraines now for a lot of years. You know, my younger years, I rodeoed, I rode bulls, wild horse race for about 10 years. I was in a major car wreck where I got life flighted to Portland. Uh, so I've had some trauma to the head and neck and so forth. When I started getting these migraines, and started going to the migraine specialist. I also had problems with my arms, you know, both hands and arms hurting. And I asked them if it could be my neck and they told me, no, they showed some uh, arthritis, but they didn't think it was anything that would be causing it. So they fed me on uh sumatriptan, a migraine pill and shots that does help. They did carpal tunnel surgery on me twice, trying to help my hands and another surgery up on my arms. And finally just doing a job and it was really wearing on my neck and I'd constantly getting the migraines even worse than before. And I went back to my family doctor, which he's pretty decent. He's one of them doctors. He'll kind of listen to you and go from there. And I told him, you know, the problem. And he told me, yeah, it sounded like my neck. So they did another MRI and this one came back severe narrowing of the joints at the base of the neck. Well, he, sent me to one doctor that was just obviously trying to milk my insurance. So I walked out of his office and wasn't going to play that game with him and called my family doctor. And now he's sending me to OHSU. Like I said, I'm here in Hermiston. You're probably familiar with the area. Yeah. Um, and my appointment for there isn't until August 15th. I have since February, I turned 50 in February and I had brain fog. I've had this headache off and on almost every day in severe neck pain to where it's to the point of where it is severely affecting my work where I've always been the guy come work all day, give a hundred percent. Now I'm missing work because of it. I can't give hardly even 20% at work or otherwise I, I just get a migraine and my neck just hurts so much. And so I know diet affects just about everything in your body, or it does affect everything, not just about everything, but everything in your body. Wondering what recommendations you would have that would maybe help me with this and even help with the pain. Cause my doctor, he's tried acupuncture that didn't do anything. And so he has me on oxycodone and another pill to help the oxycodone until I go to my appointment, which I absolutely hate taking. So yeah. I was hoping maybe you would so, have some suggestions. Yeah. So one of the things, I don't know if anybody's clarified yet or not, and I have some experience with this. My, um, I've never had back issues, um, but I've had neck issues most of my life. And I you know, used to blame a lot on wrestling because I wrestled for years really hard on your neck. Um, I used to get horrible headaches and, um, 
you know, it was mostly related to the tension my neck was putting on the muscles around my head. So I'd go to the chiropractor that would usually clear it up for a while, but I wouldn't stick with it. And then they'd come back. It all completely went away when I started eating clean. But with your case, there's something I don't know if anybody's addressed yet. Migraines are a very, very specific headache triggered by very specific things. It's actually a protein. Um, So some of the migraine drugs actually try to block that protein, which works a little bit. But most of the drugs that are for migraines cause a lot of side effects and don't really help all that much. But I'm wondering if anybody has distinguished between the the neck causing some headache issues and do you truly have migraines or not? Or are, or are right. people well, just using the word migraine as just you have a really bad headache? Well, that's my health. My family doctor, he tries to determine that, you know, he's constantly asking me, you know, where is the headache? You know, is right. it in the back of the head? Is it over the eyes, the temples, you know, and it kind of switches around. So you when know, you, majority when, of the time, it was always above the eyes. Now yeah. that my neck has gotten worse, I can feel it. Like I'll wake up every night, you know, I sleep on my back and I'll wake up every night about two to three in the morning with a pounding headache and it's in the back. Okay, so and then it'll if I don't get it taken care of, it like triggers the other headache to where it comes around to above the eyes. Got it. So when you have that above the eyes, do you also have sensitivity to light and sound, and do you experience nausea? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, and I have in my uh, just recently divorced, so I'm living in my RV, and I have it all the windows like where I can black them out okay. because of that. So it, it sounds like you may have a case where you've got a physical issue creating a headache and then somehow that headache kind of morphing into a migraine, which is um, unusual. So we're, we're almost dealing with two issues here. Uh, have you ever been to a chiropractor? Yes, I was going to one here in Hermiston, and she is a more of a natural path type doctor. I forget the terminology they use. And they were doing a lot, but then they quit. They wouldn't see me anymore until I got some imaging. This was about two years ago. And they said because I wasn't getting better and it just didn't seem right. And they wanted more some imaging of the neck. Well, I got stubborn. It was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not sure on chiropractors anyway, and I quit going. Okay. So, so I'm, I, I'm a big believer in chiropractors. Been going to chiropractors all of my life. I started sending my kids to chiropractors when they were young. That doesn't mean they're all good. I don't know whether this one was or not. I, I actually, I, I kind of like the fact that they were monitoring things that closely and saying, you know, we're not seeing the results we think we should be. We want to see some imaging again. Um, I don't know if you should go back to this chiropractor or find another one, but my recommendation would be to find a chiropractor. And I might even go search on ifm.org. That's the Institute for Functional Medicine. So I'd like to find a chiropractor now chiropractors are already more natural just to begin with they're not 
big believers in a lot of drugs and surgeries, and they try to approach things naturally first. But I would really like one that's got more functional training. And then I think I would just stick with them for a little bit, you know, and see if if somebody with good functional training, and since it is a spinal issue, um, and a lot of, there are a lot of chiropractors out there with functional training. Um, you know, we could do a NutriQ and we might be able to help you a little bit, but I, I'm thinking you might want to find a really good functional chiropractor to work on this one. Okay. Yeah. And that's not what I believe that no, uh, I, chiropractor was. And I was very happy with her well, as you could far have- as compared to other chiropractors, it was just when they wanted more imaging, I didn't want to spend the money. And I was thinking, oh, you know what, just keep popping me and twisting me and it will get better. But well, now that time I, has I, gone on, I'm seeing to where she was probably correct. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I don't think they were, you know, just trying to run a bunch of bills through your through your insurance. I, I think they were just looking out for your best interest. They weren't seeing the results they had hoped to, and they just wanted some more evidence of why not. So you could always go back to her. Another recommendation I could give you is reach out to Dr. Wolfson, the cardiologist, um, because he's heavy into chiropractic. He knows a lot of really good functional chiropractors. His wife's in you know, an amazing chiropractor. I don't think she practices anymore though. I'm not sure, but I would reach out to him because I know um, when I talk to him, we've talked a lot about chiropractors. I always see him um, looking for good chiropractors in certain areas. Uh, So he's really kind of tied into that whole chiropractic world pretty closely. So I might reach out to him for some recommendations. Okay. Yeah, I've heard you talk about him. He's the one that, that you talk about quite a bit, I believe, and send people to do a consultation with over the phone. Yeah, anytime right. somebody has any kind of a you know cardiac issue, we always want them to consult with Dr. Wolfson. But in this case, like I said, he's, he's pretty well tied into the chiropractic world too. Okay. All right, yeah, that's what I wanted to reach out to see if there's anything, you know, I can do to help relieve this that you had suggestions on. And, uh, you know, I've always been a guy, you know, at the age 50, you know, kind of like you grew up with the just say no era and pounded into our head about, you know, like marijuana. It was just all bad. You know, everything's bad about it. Nothing good as, technology advances they can take out certain parts of it and they're finding some very good medical uh benefits from it so i'm trying to get over that because i've never taken any recreational drug in my life i've and so i've seen these creams you know the yeah let me yeah what do they see let let me stop you there. i'm just nervous about it yeah yeah let me stop you there the whole CBD okay. thing has kind of taken off over the last couple of years because CBD never used to be legal because hemp wasn't legal. Hemp is now legal nationwide. Hemp is similar to cannabis, but hemp has no THC in it. And hemp THC is what gets you high. Hemp does have CBD and all kinds of other cannabinoids, 
My experience, though, is even though we have all this research that says all these cannabinoids should help, I have not found many CBD products that do much of anything. These creams do almost nothing. The CBD gummies and all this other stuff, I haven't seen a whole lot of results. What I have seen results with is a, a cannabis product, not a hemp product, a cannabis product that has a high level of CBD and is matched to the level of THC about one to one. So for example, if you can find a THC, a cannabis product, whether it's, you know, smoking it or a gummy or vaping or whatever you choose, there's multiple ways to deliver it. But the ratio of THC should be close to one to one. Those seem to be really, really effective against pain and nausea. Those two things it's really good for. I would honestly, you could experiment with this CBD stuff, but I haven't found anything very effective. The other possibility, um, and and I will tell you that, especially as a non-user, if you use a product with, you know, matched THC to CBD, you're going to get high. You will. That's what THC does. Um, After a while, you get, you know, more acclimated to it. It's not that big of a deal. You find a dose that takes away the pain but doesn't, you know, keep you on the couch all day doing nothing. Um, The other possibility that is probably actually more effective for pain and doesn't really get you high uh, is something called Kratom. Have you ever heard me talk about that? I have. How do you spell that? K-R-A-T-O-M. Okay. So Kratom is um, fairly simple. There's a tree somewhere over in Asia. And Kratom is nothing but the leaves from this tree dried and ground up into a powder. There's nothing else in it. It's a single, you know, product. It's not... There's not a whole bunch of ingredients. They take the leaves off these trees. They dry them. You either, you know, make a tea out of the powder or you put it into capsules and take it. Um, There's three different kinds, if I remember right, red, white, and green. Uh, I believe the red is the best for the pain. Um, But you could play around with Kratom. I would get organic. I would find a good, you know, I've, I've seen some states... Um, it's outlawed. Some states, it's still completely legal. You can buy it in drug stores and, or gas stations and convenience stores. I tend to find a good organic source online and just order it from, from there. And I haven't used any Kratom in a couple of years because I haven't had any pain in a while. Um, but it is pretty effective. Now, it, it acts okay. more like an opioid, like the, the oxycodone you're taking. The, 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 okay. Everything about it is very, very similar to an opioid. It's just a lot more mild because it's just a natural um, product. But a lot of people find a lot of pain relief from it. Okay. All right. Well, I uh, kind of answers my questions. That gives me some areas to start reaching, reaching out to Dr. Wilson, research this Kratom and try that. Uh, find a functional medicine doctor here locally and uh see what happens i want to try all that because i'm just 
I know when they send me to uh, Portland, as I'm sure you're probably aware of, that high possibility they're going to say surgery, sure. which yeah, my research keeps saying. You know. Yeah, that's. I, I can almost I guarantee that's Sorry, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. what they're going to say. Yeah. Right. So, All right. Well, give that a right, try. Well, I appreciate your help. You're welcome. And uh, I'd love to hear back from you and find out uh, what you found out on any of this. Um, okay. Sarah just helped me out. I couldn't remember some of the kratom. Red is best for pain and sleep. Um, green is good for pain, but it will make you more alert. Uh, it doesn't make you sleepy and drowsy. Um, but she brought up another good point. Like anything else you use, you will build a tolerance to it and you'll have to keep using more. Our goal would be to only, you know, need to use the cannabis or the kratom for a short period of time until we can figure out what the root cause of all this is and fix it. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Joe, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, Kevin, how are you? Doing good. What's I'm on your sorry. mind today? I heard heard your wife's name. I thought, oh, I know a guy who knows her. Uh, yeah, I had a big argument with a mechanic yesterday, as in they're trying to get a air compressor from a OAP peak cap. There's a mechanic standing right there, and. I was looking at this uh, air dryer, and this air dryer's got this big round thing next to it. I've never seen one of those. You ever seen one of those? Big round thing? You mean like the air... like the desiccant can, or? Yeah, it looks like a little tire. I said, what the heck is that? I've never seen one of those. I guess it's some kind of a thing that holds air or something. Anyway, the guy standing there, he goes, oh, those things are junk. He said, go get you a Chinese one. And, uh, when I started driving, nobody even had those. I mean, you heard everybody on the radio yelling and screaming about their air dryer messing up. I kept asking these people, what the hell are you talking about? So, well, they got an air dryer. Well, I didn't have an air dryer because now the companies that put them on there, it's expensive. And then they start, manufacturers start mandating that everybody have one. And so they come on trucks. So I just told my mechanic, I said, I don't want to spend $2,000 on, on stupid cats, stupid uh, air dryer, uh, just bypass it. Uh, he took the same uh, opinion as the mechanic standing there at Peterbilt that I had to have one. What is this? Well, I'm. I, I, you don't have to have an air dryer, but it's a pretty d- darn good idea. I, I would not want to bypass it. Why are we bypassing it just because it doesn't work and you don't want to spend the money on a new one? Well, no, I mean, it's just a waste of money. There's, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't see the point. I mean, I, I well, ran the, for the, years and years and years and years and years. And years about well, it's for, it's for, what it's for is for lazy people. Well, if, people you wanna, it, it, if you want to drain your air tanks constantly, run a little bit of alcohol through your system once in a while, you could do that. I mean, I, I don't consider having an air dryer. Uh, hold on. I don't consider having an air dryer on my truck as being lazy. I don't want to have to do all those things, and there's an easier way and a better way. I'd rather keep the air dry all the time without me doing anything. I don't have to do anything at all. If I have a good air dryer, I might pull on the hoses once in a while to make sure it's still working, and I don't have a ton of water in my tanks. But it's, I don't consider this an unnecessary part 
I think it's a really good idea to keep your air as dry as possible. Huh. So what were we doing before? Messing up all of our valves well, and stuff like that? Because I, yeah. I just talked to my mechanic about it, and he goes, oh, you're going to mess up your valves. I don't know what valves he's talking about. But well, any... Any any air valve in the system, you can you get enough water in your tanks, you start to get rust in there, that starts blowing through your system. L- look, there was a time when we didn't have front brakes on trucks either. Well, everybody, when they did put them on there, everybody was backing them off. I, I know, but, but my point is just because we didn't always have something doesn't mean it's a bad idea. We didn't have air conditioning on trucks for a lot of years. I don't want to give that up. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I, just me well, personally, I, it, just crazy. personally me, I would not run a truck without a working air dryer. Where would I add the alcohol? You take the line out the air compressor and put alcohol in there or something? People used to just pour it right into your lines. But see, that's why, that's why nobody knows about that anymore, because we don't need it anymore. We don't need to keep put it, trying to run alcohol through the system to dry things up because we have a good functioning air dryer. Well, and all the warnings came on the trailers that saying don't run alcohol because you mess up that valve on the tank. Co- correct. Running alcohol is not a good idea, but if you don't have an air dryer, sometimes it just becomes necessary. That's why it's a better idea to have a functioning air dryer. Alcohol's not good for the system either. Well, it used to not make a difference, but apparently the way I understand it is they, they changed some kind of a valve back there in the trailer that, you know, it, it made a difference. So they used to, they used to encourage that. And uh, I guess they changed the valve, some kind of a piece of plastic well, disc it, or something. Well, here, here's the thing. Things change over time for reasons. We figure out better ways of doing things. Yes, there was a time when we had no air dryer and we put alcohol in the system when we needed to. But things have changed. You know, it's, it's the same as we used to put automatic transmission fluid in our fuel tanks because we said it cleaned things out, it made things run better. Nobody would recommend that anymore. Nobody that knows anything about modern diesel engines, that would be a really bad idea to do that today. But back then it worked. Oh, did it? Yeah, it worked. I didn't know that. Everybody, everybody I talked to that ever tried that flamed their uh, stack, and uh, the, the motor ran great for about 100 miles. <laughs> what? The, the, the motor ran great for about 100 miles, and they burned it up. <laughs> no, well, bullshit. Nobody ever burn up an engine oh. by putting a quart of transmission fluid in the fuel tank. Oh, I don't know how much they put in there. He may have put too much. So you know somebody who actually claims they burn up their engine. And explain to me what that means. What is burning up the engine I don't engine know mean? what it meant. I was, I was just talking to the guy, and he told me he put way too much in there, and he, he flamed his engine. And so, you know, I, I never do that. Everybody's out here arguing about, about uh, fuel additives. The last time I called you, I was talking to you about clean fire, and that guy told me to try that Lucas. So I'm going to do that. Uh, but ever, nobody wants to. Ever, a lot of people run that transmission fluid in their fuel to keep from having to buy house and all the rest of that stuff. So, 
everybody, you know, because I'm buying houses. Everybody, oh, you're a fool. Just run transmission fluid. I, I bet I've had a hundred people tell me that. Well, today running a transmission fluid in your fuel, that's foolish. These engines get, you know, mm-hmm. old pre-emission engines didn't have much of a problem with it. And it did clean some things out. And it did kind of work like some of the fuel additives. Now, it didn't take care of things like, you know, water and waxing and all that other stuff that some fuel additives will do. I'm not a big believer in additives, period. If we don't have a problem, why am I using an additive? Now, if I have a problem with my emission system fouling up and sooting, the catalyst works to fix that. If I don't have a problem with that, like when we see some trucks that are specced properly, driven properly, they don't need the catalyst. If you don't need it, then don't use it. So it's the same with fuel additives. It's not like we need to put a fuel additive in every time we put in fuel. But as far as, you know, just because we didn't have air dryers on trucks before, you know, there was a time we didn't have charger coolers on trucks either. I don't want to get rid of my charger cooler. Huh. That was before my time. Well, we'll go back a little further. Why do we need a charger cooler to begin with? Because we have a turbocharged engine. But we can go back to the point where diesels did not have turbochargers. Do you want to give up yours? Do you want to run a naturally aspirated engine again? I actually, I actually met an old man that said it took him three days to get across Pennsylvania when he started driving. The whole thing was gravel. No, I I get it. I I heard those, you know, stories from my grandfather and my father. Um, The one that always kind of, my favorite story when I was a kid was my dad said trucks would go up and it was Pennsylvania because we lived in Northeast Ohio and my dad drove to the East Coast a lot. So he was always across the two lanes in Pennsylvania. And he would tell me that trucks would go up the hill so slow that you would open, and a lot of trucks had running boards back then, that my dad would say drivers would actually open the door, step out onto the running board, reach back through. They, we had those, they would either use a stick on the throttle or we actually had some of those hand throttles back then. You could set them kind of sort of like a cruise control. Um, and they would step out on the running board instead of using a pee bottle. They would just pee on the running board going up the hill so damn slow. They had the button you'd pull out on the lever and it'd lock. Yeah, you'd lock the throttle in place. Yeah. So clearly, yeah, clearly trucks have changed a lot in all these years, but I'm not ready to give up my air dryer just because trucks didn't have them before. Hmm. Well, I don't know how I get. I don't know how to get uh, alcohol to it, though. Well, don't, those, don't uh, just fix airline. the damn air dryer. Oh, <laughs> two thousand dollars. Some Chinese thing supposed to be two hundred fifty bucks, and there's a guy I'm supposed to go see. And well, try it. Chinese one. Try it for two hundred and fifty bucks. What do you have to lose other than two hundred and fifty bucks? Hmm. Hmm. We also got to get a air dryer uh, warmer, especially if you're running up north, because you know, that's that's just foolish. You don't want to go driving around up there because those things are notorious for for. Uh, hey Joe, uh, Joe, Joe. Yeah. The 
the manufacturers have had this whole air dryer thing figured out for a couple decades now. You buy a truck, the air dryer that's on it works in Florida, it works in Maine, it works in Alaska. Just replace what you had on there. Or try your cheap Chinese one and call me back and tell me what it does. (laughs) You don't think I need a, a, a warmer on there? They got, they got Joe, different warmers. You got one that runs off Joe, transmission fluid. Joe, and, uh, or, uh, Joe, yes. I've been talking to truck drivers for 30 years. Nobody has ever called me and, you know, said I need a warmer on my air dryer. Replace the OEM equipment. You'll be fine. Well, suppo- supposedly, supposedly my air compressor actually went back to a, a Bendix because it was a, a cat double piston and so even cat says that's junk so i got a bandix on the way it's a single piston that's what was on it so somebody had already done that hey joe how many how uh, many how many miles are on this truck 1.2 million so i know lots and lots and lots of trucks probably 90 percent of the trucks on the road go 1.2 million and more and never replace the compressor at all Maybe you had to replace the compressor because there's been too much water in the system. Oh, it was hooked up. It wasn't, it wasn't disconnected, but you said it wasn't working already running. Well, uh, no, their compressor went out and flooded it with oil. (sighs) Okay. Joe, Joe. Yeah. Three options here. Do nothing. See what happens. Put on your Chinese knockoff and see what happens. Or just bring the truck back to the way it was as an OEM. And I can tell you what will happen then. It will work just fine. If you choose one of the other two methods, please call me back in a month and tell me what's happening. I will. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Ken. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for the, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. We're going to wrap this up today. Great calls, by the way. Um, Good stuff. Thanks for that. We will see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. We'll see you then. Uh, Let me check real quick. Um, Oh, a couple quick questions um, that I just saw that came from Angie. I'll answer these before I wrap it up. Uh, from Philip on the website, can you comment on the book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuel? Yeah, I will. I actually want to do a book report on this one, um, and I need to go back through my notes, but I I really recommend the book. I I almost didn't get this. It didn't sound like something that I was all that interested in. I really liked this book a lot, and I agree with a lot of what is in this book. Um, I think most people know that I'm a pretty big fan of electric, electric vehicles, electric appliances, electric tools, electric and solar. I I think that there are a ton of benefits to it. The environment is not one that I, that I really put a lot of weight on. I don't know that going to electric is better for our environment or not. I don't know if anybody does really, um, I just like the benefits of electric, all the advantages electric has. But, and this is the kind of the idea behind the book, moving to electric is fine, but we should not give up fossil fuels and internal combustion engines. 
I completely agree. I think the U.S. right now is pushing way too hard. This administration, the Biden administration, is pushing way too hard. They talk about this great transition we're making in our economy. Uh, I think it's a huge mistake. I think we should allow the free market to develop the electronic and electric technology as it happens and as it becomes cost effective. We shouldn't have a bunch of um, regulations that force this. We shouldn't have a bunch of government incentives that force this. Let the free market figure out what our best energy source is. And I think it's going to be a mix of electric and fossil fuels and internal combustion engines. But it is an excellent book. I highly recommend it. All right. Um, And then somebody is asking what brand sous vide. Um, I have, uh, oh, I have an old one that I've had for five or six years. Still works just fine. Um, Starting to get a little noisy. And I can't remember, I can picture it, but I can't remember the brand. And that's okay, because I wouldn't even necessarily recommend that one anymore. Um, The new one I just bought recently and absolutely love is a Juul, J-O-U-L-E, J-O-U-L-E. Very, very tiny, one of the smallest I've seen. And uh, runs off, you know, your phone if you want on an app. Has a timer. You can set the temperature exactly where you want it. It's super quiet, uh, and it works great. So that's my recommendation on the sous vide. Um, we also will be doing the pit tomorrow. Uh, politics and trucking. Stanford Graham will be joining me for that. Uh, that's probably what I'll work on the rest of the day. I need to. Uh, do some homework on some of the topics I want to cover on the pit tomorrow. So we will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.